This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Lead off first. And the 3-2. There goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. See ya. He's done it. the American League single season record with 61 home runs. He's been chasing history and now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs. And the entire Yankee team is out on the field. They are hugging him one by one. Patty Judge is standing behind the Yankee dugout. She got a big smile on her face. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, September 29th, and we are really getting down to it. We're headed into the final week of the season. We've got a lot of stuff we want to talk about. In our first segment, we are, of course, going to at least touch on Aaron Judge hitting his 61st home run of the year last night, as he did. But we're really going to talk about the NL East. The Mets and the Braves are separated by one game, and they're playing each other this weekend, which is super exciting. And then we're going to get into our three batter minimum. There is one wild card spot up for grabs in the National League. The Phillies and the Brewers are separated by one half of a game, although that might change by the time we're done recording because the Phillies are playing right now. The National League MVP is suddenly a mess. We've spent so much time on the AL MVP. We should focus on the one that's actually interesting in the National League. And is this it for Zach Greinke? I don't know, but I wanted to at least touch on a couple of interesting things about his career because he's been one of our favorites for a long time. And of course, Matt and I each have a couple of guys that we should talk about. Matt, Aaron Judge finally hit his 61st home run yesterday. And my reaction to this was, I don't know, relief. Like part of it is because it had just taken a while. It had been like, uh, I think over a week since he hit 60. And part of it is just that the discourse has gotten really obnoxious like it's brought up a whole who has the real record and like a whole bunch of stuff happened there i think the the primary act reaction to this should be um that's super cool like 60 is not the record 61 is not the record i don't care about the american league record but that's that is a magical number that has held a special place in every baseball fan's heart for years it's like hitting 400 that's not a record it's still amazingly cool because it's 400 that's that's kind of where i am on this i agree um i'm not interested in the like who holds the real record discussion um, that was played out 20 years ago, if it ever needed to be played at all. So uh, I'm not going to get in into that one there. Yeah. 61 is cool. It sort of felt like, like, and it was kind of funny that like after he didn't hit it on Tuesday night in Toronto, there was like, Oh, like he clearly needs a break. And it's like, he reached base four times last night. Like, he, he, he hasn't stopped getting on base and getting hits. He just hasn't hit home runs. So like, you know, it, it didn't really seem, I was, I was glad he played last night. There was this talk. He might, sit out. I was like, come on, this is what people want. We actually like have people, there's like, this is part of the national discourse. Giving Aaron Judge a, the night off would have been kind of lame. I'm glad the Yankees came to their sen- senses, put him in a DH, which makes sense. That's what the DH is for. Sure enough, he hit a home run. He got 61. He's still, by decimal points right now, he's still 
in the lead for the Triple Crown as well, which is kind of wild. So um, very cool moment for in what has been an incredible season for Aaron Judge. Have you looked at the uh, Fancraft's wins above replacement leaderboards? Because that's what stood out to me this morning. He's got an 11 win season. And if you look at position players, I'll get to Otani in a second. If you look at position players, the next best position player, it's actually a tie between Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado at 7.2 war. So he's got a lead of almost four wins above replacement over like regular position players. Otani, it's a little bit closer. It's only by 2.2 wins, but it's still a tremendous gap. And as we think we've talked about a couple of times, if we focus too much on the home runs, we sort of lose track like, Oh my God, this is like an all-time great season. Now, I, I have a question for you that I'm going to ask without knowing the answer. Uh, obviously, you pay attention to baseball, and I'm sure you were watching the game last night, but I also know that you've done your best to minimize your Twitter usage, so that's why I'm hoping that maybe you don't know the answer to this. Uh, when he hit the home run last night, it came real close to being caught by a Blue Jays fan, right? Almost got it. Did, did you happen to catch the name of the Blue Jays fan? Are you aware of this or not? I'm not. Yes. Okay. I'm so excited that you don't know this. <laughs> so everybody, the Blue Jays fan had a glove, came like this close to catching this ball, which would be like a very valuable thing. And so, of course, like all the media went up to interview him. And uh, he is a local restaurateur in Toronto whose name is Frankie Lasagna. <laughs> and and I saw, so Levi Weaver, who writes for The Athletic, he tweeted, and I quote here, if I missed a historic home run on national TV and all my friends were sending me screen caps of memes and tweets and just roasting me in my darkest hour, you can guarantee I will tell the reporter my name was uh, Frankie, Fra- Frankie Lasagna. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so good and it's real. And that's like, it's exactly the wonderful outcome there. I... I <laughs> I'm happy you didn't know that, and I got to tell you that. <laughs> All right, I have one last, um, I have a hot Aaron Judge take, and you can disagree with me on this if you want. I'm fine with not seeing Roger Maris Jr. on TV anymore. Let the man go home. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a long and winding road, and every single night I see him there, and like, cool, but like, I, I, please, I don't need more. I'm fine. All done. <laughs> He's also probably most responsible for bringing back the who's the real home run record debate yes. as well. So I'm also not, you know, we can we don't need any more of that either. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go find out what like Sammy Sosa's niece thinks about everything and we can go from there. All right. We spent too much time on Aaron Judge. Uh, there's one really big playoff race right now. Well, two, we'll get to the wild card in a second. There's one really big division race right now. And it's really cool because the Mets and Braves are playing each other this weekend. The Mets have a one game lead. Um, but it's actually a little bit more than that because they do hold the tiebreaker edge and there are no games 163 this year. So really, as long as the Mets don't get swept, they're going to keep the tiebreaker edge. And if you look at the pitching matchups, both teams are taking this very seriously. They've lined up their best pitchers. Friday night, DeGrom versus Max Freed. Yes. Saturday, Max Scherzer versus Kyle Wright. Yes. And then Sunday, Charlie Morton versus Chris Bassett. Maybe not quite the star power, but still really good and cool. And uh, we've been talking about this a little bit, I think, offline here is uh, it's not just about winning the division. It's not just about the bragging rights. It's about getting the number two seed, which comes with a buy, or getting the four seed, which means that you will host. It kind of depends on how the rest of the playoffs work out, but you have to play somebody. Right. And then it's about paths because there's no reseeding. So if you're the four seed, then your prize, if you survive the wild card round, is you get to go to L.A. to play the Dodgers. Whereas if you're the two seed, you get to avoid them until the NLCS. This seems like a really big deal to me. And I get the feeling that maybe you don't fully agree, but it's something to watch closely this weekend. The series is going to decide how that all plays out. 
I will preface this conversation by saying it's significant for many reasons. I think, that, like, I honestly think, I think it's cool that in baseball, winning division still holds some cachet and value in a way that it doesn't in the NBA or the NFL. Like, it's cool. Winning your division, even though they've expanded the playoffs, that just still holds a thing. You, you, you raise a banner. Fans think it's cool. I think that's awesome, right? Step one. Step two, obviously the buy, it is significant. I think that like where I struggle with is like, I know it's significant, but it's really hard to really figure out. It just, like, to, for me, it's hard to put my finger on just how significant it is, right? And and, and we've talked about this and, and Mike has, has written a piece about this that is going to be uh, up on MLB.com leaning into the game, basically kind of breaking down by the by the math of what it means to get to get the buy, right? And <clears throat> Essentially, it's like I'll, I'll paraphrase you and Mike jump in. It's like essentially, if you th- if you assume every team is equally talented, and four of those teams get to skip around, it basically means the four teams that get to skip around. Do I have this right? Their their World Series odds, and this assumes everyone's equally talented, are twelve and a half percent, and then for the other uh, teams, it's six point two six point two five percent. Is that is that right? Kind of. I think I think the phrasing of skip around is, is confusing a little bit. So basically the way you would think about it is you have six teams in each league. You have 12 teams in the postseason, right? 100% divided by 12. All 12 teams would have an 8.3% chance if they all had equal talent and the same path, which they don't because obviously equal talent is not real. But four of those teams have to play around first and four of those teams get to skip ahead, right? So the four teams with buys will have a, a 12.5% chance. And the four teams that have to go through the wild card first. The eight, te- the eight teams the have to go through the wild card. The eight teams have to go through the wild card. Well, the four teams that survive is what I meant. The four Got teams it. that survive will get the 6.2%. Because the other teams will have a 0% chance. So if you just want to look at it like that, you could say the buy is worth like 6% in playoff odds. But the way I was trying to think about it, obviously teams are not equally talented. Like the Phillies are not as good as the Astros. Uh, but the Mets and Braves might be equally talented. <laughs> like they really might be. If you look, obviously the record, there's only one game difference. They are like third and fourth in both runs per game and runs allowed per game or third and fifth or something like that. Like they get there in different ways because the Mets have this kind of like small ball make contact offense where the Braves, you know, strike out a lot and pound the baseball. So they don't, they don't look the same, but the, the outcome is the same. Like I don't think one team is clearly more talented than the other. So I kind of use that as a crutch to not have to decide which one is more talented. But I think it's true. Like, they're extremely similar. They're definitely similar teams. And let's say, let's just say, like, for example, right? And I think this is what I come back to is let's just say, for example, you know, the Dodgers are probably the most talented team. Let's say they're they're because of that, their World Series odds are maybe like 15 percent. And the, the Astros are 14. And, you know, the Mets and the, the Mets and Braves, either of them, if they win the division, they, they're at 13, and the team that doesn't get it is like seven, right? Now, on one hand, you could frame it as, oh, well, that's that's a, that's a twice as likely odds, right? But the difference between 7% and 14% is not the same as the difference between 30% and 60%, right? And I think that like when you hear people say, like, oh, it, it doubles your World Series odds, like, yes, that's true, but it's kind of relative. And, you know, in, in normal life, the difference between 7% and 13% doesn't really change your actions that much. Like if you were told that there's a 7% chance of rain versus a 13% chance of rain, you're probably not going to behave any differently. But if you're told there's a 30% chance of rain versus a 60% chance of rain, you would. That said, there's all sorts of reasons you want to win win the division. Obviously, a team like the Mets probably benefit most of any team, maybe other than the Phillies, of being like, oh, we win the division, we get to line up Scherzer and DeGrom for games one and two with one of them coming back for a potential game five 
in the DS. And that is significant, maybe more so for any team other than the Mets. So they probably stand to gain the most from winning the division of maybe any of the teams out there. I just also know that probably this year, if not this year or sometime soon, we're going to get a couple of wildcard teams in the World Series. And as this plays out, it, maybe as the years goes on, it may feel more... I'm curious. It may feel more significant, significant. It may feel less significant. I mean, this is essentially the system we've had in the NFL for years of like this buy system. And it feels significant, but it doesn't feel debilitating for teams who don't get the buy, I guess is sort of my point. Yeah. I, to go back to the odds for a second, if you look at the Fangraphs World Series odds right now, the top team, uh, the Astros, have 17% odds of winning the World Series, which is, it's actually less than one in five, right? Like the odds are stacked against them. To go back to like pre, uh, you know, divisional era, I'm going to pick a year at random. Let's just say 1960, right? Uh, Pirates and Yankees. And uh, so let's say the Yankees were a better team. Well, the Pirates still had a 46 or so percent chance of winning the World Series because they got to go immediately there. Like all these extra rounds have just made it harder and more difficult to win the World Series, which sort of goes back to your point. It, that's why the odds are so low. But at the same time, if if we can agree that the buy is, let's say, worth about six to seven percent with rosters being frozen, there there is nothing else you can do right now to improve your odds by that much. Like this is the best thing you can do if you haven't already done it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like it's going to be it's going to be exciting. The teams the teams are excited. It looks like actually the weather may allow them to play on Friday for sure. Saturday possibly, and if not, they probably are clear to play a doubleheader on Sunday, which is obviously less than ideal, but either way, it looks like they are going to get the three games in Friday night. Um DeGrom's pitching. And I have a question for you. DeGrom has been uneven the last few starts. Um in a way that's sort of surprising. His last three outings are against the Pirates, Cubs, Pirates, and A's. He's given up at least three runs in all of them. I mean, the Pirates one was weird because he actually struck out like 13 in five innings, but then got rocked in the sixth. And he's been rocked. He's been absolutely demolished in the sixth inning all season. Like it's actually, it's almost to the point where like, you just wonder if like, oh, is he a, a is he a five inning pitcher right now this season? Like it's like his, um, his ERA, I, I just pulled this up and now my computer is being slow. So I apologize. Um, in the sixth inning this year, he has a 9.45 ERA, um, having allowed four home. He's allowed six home runs all season. Four of them are in the sixth inning. He's allowed a, a, an OPS over a thousand in the sixth inning. But in the fifth inning, he's allowed an OPS of 262. He's washed um, clearly. I mean, I think that's the answer. I was at that Pirates game, by the way. I took my son to that game here in New York. He gave up a, a leadoff like laser beam to O'Neill Cruz, and then got through like 16 straight guys before that last inning. And the A's game, I watched it on TV. He he was not sharp. He was missing his spots. Although I'm pretty sure there was a, a very bad uh, defensive play in the outfield from Jeff McNeil that didn't help him here. Um, I'm of two minds on this. One is, I think even Jacob Degrom is allowed to have a bad stretch once every four years or so <laughs> you know might not be well timed i'm not I, I looked into it a little bit like trying to figure out what was going on velocity's fine like the movement's fine like i couldn't see anything obvious he just in the a's game his control was awful which is weird for him i'm not willing to make too much of it uh until there's reason to but i think we're going to learn a lot about it tomorrow night on friday night because if he goes out and does something more like you're talking about then it's it goes from being a weird thing to like a little bit of a red alert going into the playoffs because the Mets the Mets cannot thrive if he is not atop that rotation let me ask you a question and this may be you may you may scoff at this question if the Mets win yes if the Mets win the division and they go to the division series and can line up their their rotation however they want 
and also have pick the pitcher they want to come back for game five if there's a game five. Who do you start in game one? Scherzer or DeGrom? Oh, God. I'm tempted to say that I don't care because they're both incredible and there's not that much difference between them. So I guess it's really more about who do I trust to be ready for that second start? And I don't trust either of them, but I guess Scherzer. I I mean, yeah, I guess Scherzer, but how can you go wrong? There's not a right answer here. No, but they might have to make the, they might have to make that decision. And I think it's a really interesting decision that you have, that you, that they're going to have to make. Um, Because up until a week, two weeks ago, you would have said DeGrom, no question. And now he's had three straight mediocre starts. Scherzer came off the IL and looked absolutely dominant. We're going to get at least one more start from each of them against Atlanta this weekend. And maybe that will help the story. Hey, maybe Atlanta sweeps them and Atlanta wins the division. Um, but it's, so that could be moot in which case, you know, it almost doesn't matter how you line up for the wild card. Cause they'll pitch one and two in some order, no matter what. But I do think that is, that is the interesting question. Um, what do you think is going to happen? What, what, what is not to get in the predictions game, but I'm curious, like what you're watching for in this series, what you think is going to happen, what you foresee. Well, number one is DeGrom. I mean, we just kind of went over it. I want to, I want to see, if he looks like peak to Grom or if it's the kind of inconsistent one we've seen the last couple of weeks. Um, number two is the Braves have played really well at home this year and the, and the Mets haven't played that well there. I mean, it kind of does come down in a lot of ways to game one, because if the Braves want the tiebreaker, they have to sweep. Right. So I don't want to say if they lose Friday, then the series is over. Like, I think that's that's too soon, but they really need to sweep. <laughs> Otherwise, they makes it harder on themselves, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I th- so basically just like the Mets are up by a game and have the tiebreaker. If the Braves win the series 2-1, to they will be tied in the standings, but the Mets will still be ahead because they own the tiebreaker, in which case the Mets control their own destiny. They will be playing at home against Washington the close of the season, and the Braves, I can't remember, are they in, in Miami or home to Miami? But they will probably have to uh, face I'd... Alcantara in one of those starts, which is pretty well, interesting. We're going to get back to Sandy Alcantara because I, I have an interesting thought on him. Real quick before we take a break, there was something I read just before we came on, and I had to, to point it out to you and everybody. Um, the Athletic did this cool thing where they did a player poll. They asked nearly 200 players like a bunch of questions, and it was really interesting and good. One of them was, uh, in Game 7 of the World Series, who do you want closing? And nearly half the players picked Edwin Diaz. Great. Wonderful. Uh, after that, it was Josh Hader, Emmanuel Classe, Juan Duran. Fine. Here's the here's the part that I wanted to point out to you. And remember, these are players who said this. In the also-receiving-multiple-votes category, here were the names. Uh, Daniel Bard, Felix Bautista, Camilo Doval, Kenley Jansen, Liam Hendricks, Ryan Hellesley. Fine. And, remember, multiple votes. Craig Kimbrell, who might not even make the playoff roster for the Dodgers. And I'm like... I get that name value is a thing, but like, if we're just doing name value, where's Aroldis Chapman on this list? You know, like, are are we missing something about Craig Kimbrell, or are we assuming that some players just haven't been paying attention for the last three years? It's probably more that, um, because also Kenley Jansen has been pretty dicey this season and in yeah. recent years, and he's also still getting votes. Uh, I guess it's that. Okay, we have a lot more to talk about. We will take a break on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We're going to move into our three batter minimum. We already talked about the one interesting division race. Well, there is one really interesting wildcard race, which I got to say, I didn't expect to be this interesting about two weeks ago. If you were to look at the three wildcard spots in the National League, the number four seed is definitely going to be the Mets or Braves, depending who doesn't win the division. The number five seed is highly likely to be the Padres. And the number six seed, which I thought for sure was going to be the Phillies, who were up four and a half games two weeks ago. Well, the Phillies are only one half game up on Milwaukee all of a sudden. Philadelphia has lost seven of their last 10. They have lost 16 of their last 27. They are losing to the Cubs right this second. As we record, let's see, it is one nothing Cubs in the top of the fourth inning. Okay, so if they lose this game, it will be a tie. Uh, They do have a tiebreaker on both Milwaukee and San Diego. So there's that. But they have been in an incredibly rough stretch. Um, Bryce Harper has simultaneously driven in runs in five straight games, but also hit 218, 322, 376 since his return, exclusively as a DH because he still can't throw. JT Romudio and Kyle Schwarber have basically been the entire offense in September. The, the Phillies are making this about as hard as they possibly can, which I guess is the best way to describe the Phillies over the last 10 years. And meanwhile, the Brewers are, I wouldn't say they're playing great, but they're playing well. And the schedule from here on out gets kind of weird. So the Phillies uh, are, the, the Brewers have one extra game to play. That is going to happen uh, tomorrow, I think. All right. So. No, it's the, the Phillies have the extra game. They're playing the doubleheader that's getting moved to tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. The Phillies See, are supposed to play doubleheader me. on Saturday. Yeah. The Phillies, are actually have to, the Phillies actually have to play, uh, I guess, counting today, eight games in seven days, which includes a doubleheader, which was supposed to be on Saturday and is now going to be on tomorrow because of Hurricane Ian. There's a chance also that if their game gets rained out on Saturday, they will have to play another doubleheader on Sunday. And and the thing, too, is Milwaukee has finished the road part of their schedule. They're only at home the rest of the year. The Phillies have completed the home part of their schedule. They're only on the road the rest of the year. And this, when I I said uh, earlier on, I wanted to talk about... uh, Sandy Alcantara for a second. The Marlins have been out of the race forever. Uh, they recently announced that Don Mattingly would not be back next year. And yet the presumptive NL Cy Young winner is going to have a lot to say about how this goes down because on Friday, he, he faces the Brewers and Corbin Burns, which is an amazing pitching matchup. And then it's not clear exactly what the final start of his year will be, but if it matters, they're probably pitch him on Wednesday against Atlanta and maybe Max Freed. So, you know, he's going to have a lot to say about this race that he's not even in, which I think is really interesting. Uh, would you agree? Let me say, I don't trust the Phillies at all. I don't really trust the Brewers at all. So both of them are sort of backing in and maybe aren't necessarily putting their best foot forward. It's been a little bit of like, you know, it hasn't been the most compelling race. Although last night was actually, I think, the first great night of September baseball when you had the 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 Phillies and 
the Phillies and Brewers playing at the same time and the Mets and Braves playing at the same time with lead changes happening, not to mention with Judge happening in parallel. That was like, okay, this is September baseball. This is this is fun. And the Brewers came back and put, and put away the Cardinals and the Phillies could not come back against the Cubs and they cut the lead to, the lead was cut down to half a game. And it was like, okay, here we are, let's go. They got, you know, the, they've got the home series. They could have Burns against Alcantara. You can start to feel a little bit of the excitement. I... The Phillies, obviously, by virtue of A, still having a lead as we record this, and B, having the tiebreaker, have the slight advantage. But given the fact that their bullpen has always been a questionable, um, not to, their, their general pitching depth and bullpen have always been a weakness, the fact that they're going to have to play eight games in seven days is to finish it all on the road leads me to believe that there's going to be some ugly innings and maybe a couple of really ugly games in there. And it's actually going to be a really a huge manager challenge for Rob Thompson to sort of figure out like when to use his high, his like the, the arms he can rely on. And he might actually have to, he might have to punt a game or two in here to sort of make sure he can keep his best arms fresh. And I think that's going to be a really interesting challenge to watch this last week of the season, because like, you know, David Robertson and Sir Anthony Dominguez can't pitch in every game. And so he's gonna have to choose games in which these guys don't pitch. And he's going to have to make some tough decisions because, Hey, maybe the Phillies will surprise us and Bryce Harper breaks out and they start scoring a ton of runs and they they go on a seven-game win streak and this is moot. But it's hard to see that happening given the amount of games they have to play and the depth of their pitching. The graphic that Phillies TV just put up over Ranger Suarez is first time in his career he's ever allowed four doubles in a game in the fourth inning. So that's that's not a great start. They are losing one nothing to the Cubs. And yet the Brewers, when you think about this team, you're always like, well, this is a team that is fueled by their pitching. And that's that's true. I mean, Burns is still great and Woodruff looks great. But Adrian Hauser got hurt the other day. The bullpen's been kind of a mess. And it's not just because they traded Josh Hader, because Hader was terrible when they <laughs> traded him to San Diego anyway. Uh, it just It's not the peak bu- uh, bullpen of the uh, Brewers. The stat that stood out to me the most, do you know Rowdy Teles has 34 home runs? <laughs> I, I did not know that. Um <laughs> They can hit the ball like they 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 hit the ball for power, but they're not a great offense. They're a good power hitting offense. Yeah, because they they get some 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 power from kind of names that aren't really that fit. like Telez hits a lot of homers. Willie Adamas has become like you know a really reliable, pretty reliable home run hitter, and Hunter Renfro hits a bunch of home runs. It's like the three of those guys are all like they're like they're, they're good home run hitters and like they're not huge famous names, but it's it, it's a team that has some pop. That's kind of the kind of their defining feature. Colton Wong too had a three homer game of the day, surprising pop for his size. So. That's kind of their thing. I'm excited. As we talked about in the last podcast, there's a difference between the race for seeding and the in or you're out playoff spots. So I'm excited that we have at least one like, okay, in or you're out playoff races, Phillies, Brewers, like, let's go. Uh, Dusty Baker, who is the manager of the Astros, said that if it came down to it in the final season or final series and these games meant something to the Phillies, he would kind of play at full strength. You know, he would respect the sanctity of the season. And uh, now I'm just kind of laughing at the idea of the Phillies having to go to Houston, the best team in the American League, to try to get into the playoffs. I mean, and not to mention, they're going to have like five days off. I think the players would want actually would want for for the sake of me and maybe maybe if they didn't have this series, they might have a rest a couple more guys strategically. But like the players are going to want to play. Verlander is going for the Cy Young. He's probably going to pitch in that series, and he's going to want to pitch well. Like those games are not, even though the the Astros will have nothing to play for, those games are going to be tough games for the Phillies. All right, our second topic, the National League MVP race. Remember, the ballots are going to be due at the end of the season, even though we won't know the results till after the World Series. And we have spent so much oxygen talking about Judge and Otani, and we haven't really paid attention to this because for a while it seems like Paul Goldschmidt was going to run away with it. Well, 
Goldschmidt's not been that great over the last couple weeks. He's not going to win a triple crown. And if you were to look at the National League wins above replacement leaders at Fangraphs, it's kind of like a five-way tie. Arenado, Machado, Goldschmidt, Freeman, and Lindor are more or less tied. And then you can also talk about guys like Mookie Betts. Trey Turner, JT Romito, Dansby Swanson. Uh, you can all the way, go all the way down to Pete Alonso if you want to, and Austin Riley, although I don't think they're really in the mix anymore. And I was thinking about this. I was trying to figure out what year would it be where the most different guys got first place votes? Like if there were five or six guys this year who got first place votes, would that be notable in terms of uh, it being split? And so I was talking to our colleague Sarah Langs about this, and then I decided to actually go and look it up. Would you believe in 1977 in the American League, there were 11 different players who got first place votes, which I think reflects uh, the difference of the times a little bit. Rod Carew won it that year. And since I have it in front of me, I'm going to read all the names here. Al Cowens, Ken Singleton, Greg Nettles, Carlton Fisk, Jim Rice, Larry Heisel, Carly Yastrzemski, Thurman Munson, Reggie Jackson, and Sparky Lyle all got first place votes. Four different Yankees got first place votes that year, which is kind of a weird thing. I don't think we're going to get 11. I was disappointed. I was like, cool, maybe we'll get a bunch. Maybe this will be notable. I just, I don't think that scenario is possible anymore, that opinions could be split by that much. But I also think this race is nowhere near as clear cut as it seemed even three weeks ago. I th- yeah, I mean, there, about three or four weeks ago, there was there was this whole like groundswell of, oh, what Paul Goldschmidt going the triple ground. That's pretty cool. And of course, what happened was he went in a slump. He's hitting 241 in September with a 724 OPS. And of course, Aaron Judge went on a tear and suddenly came out of nowhere and now might win the Triple Crown. But the narrative was kind of cast like, oh, Goldschmidt's going to win the MVP. I still think he probably will because, oh, in aggregate, his season is still like on par and he already kind of had the the the, the narrative built around him. Um, I th- There's not really an... There's not an easy answer here. I think that I'm trying to guess how he will get votes. I think the following players, I think, will get first place votes for any number of reasons. I think Arenado, Goldschmidt, Machado, and maybe I honestly think it's more likely Pete Alonso gets a first place vote than Francisco Lindor. Um, even though if you look at war, Lindor's way ahead. I'm just saying, I think just based on like the loud the loud numbers, I'm I think five or six guys will get first place votes. I don't think Maybe Betts would get one. I don't know. He's, he's missed some time, so maybe not. I kind of think Freeman, it's just been so quiet, and people are kind of writing him off just because he switched teams, and it, didn't, it sort of went down in a weird way. For whatever reason, I think it's just – I know this is a terrible a terrible reasoning, but I think, like, just vibes. He's not going to get it, also because the Dodgers are such a juggernaut, and I think that it hurts them because, like, it's almost like how do you decide who the, who the MVP is of a team that has, like, six-star players. And honestly, there might be a path for Machado to win it because I think – there might be like a split St. Louis vote and that like Machado might get like, you know, eight first place votes and those guys each split 14 votes and then he kind of sne- sneaks into it. Yeah, he is kind of where I'm leaning towards right now. And when I when I was talking about this on Twitter the other day, a lot of Padres fans are like, well, it should be him because he's the only guy on this list who is the only guy on his team on the list, which is not true because J.T. Romuto is also that guy. But I, I think the idea they have is, he is really dragging the team across the finish line, if you think about it. Obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. never played this season due to injury and suspension. Juan Soto and uh, Josh Bell have been pretty disappointing since that trade, and it's really just been Machado. Like, he's the he's the lone horse there, which 
is not untrue. I just don't base my MVP decisions on that, you know, because I'm not going to demerit Paul Goldschmidt because he happens to have Nolan Arenado on his team. <laughs> like That's nothing he can do about. But it is interesting. All of these guys on the top of this list are from good teams, right? Which is not, this is kind of rare over the last couple of years. We, we have had, you know, even last year, you know, Harper and Soto were on losing teams. You know, Shohei Otani was on a losing team, but the top like dozen guys on this wins above replacement list are all from competitive teams. So you can toss that part of it right out. I think I would vote for Arenado or Machado just because I, I wanted a sort of a, a two-way player, like a player who combines dominant offense with dominant defense. And Goldschmidt, he's a solid first baseman, but he's also a first baseman, which mitigates some defensive yep. value. And his offense isn't so far and away above Arenado or Machado. So I, I'd have to, like, the, but, but the two, to me, the two of them are like essentially a toss-up. It's kind of crazy. Like you look at their stat lines, it's identical both in terms of like traditional and, you know, advanced stats. They both played in exactly 144 games. Arenado has 30, 30 home runs. Machado has 31. They both have exactly 100 RBIs. Uh, Arenado's hitting 293. Machado 298. 359 OBP versus 369 OBP. 537 versus 532. And they both have exactly identical 7.2 war via fan graphs. It's like it could not possibly be closer in like any way you slice it. Yeah, they're both obviously very good defenders. Although, for some reason, defensive run save doesn't like Machado. I don't know why. Statcast thoughts above average does. But to kind of go back to that point, this is this is exactly why I can't consider Pete Alonso, right? Because compare him to Paul Goldschmidt. Who's a better defensive first baseman? It's Goldschmidt, easily. If you look at OPS+, Plus, Alonso's 145. That's really good. Goldschmidt's 181. So really, the only argument for Alonso is RBIs, which some people will vote based on that. You know me well enough to know that I will not. I... I think I'd go Machado, Arenado, Goldschmidt right now. I don't disagree with you. I just think that Alonzo will, my, my prediction is he will get at least one first place vote because of the RBIs. Mm. I wonder if it'll be from a New York voter or not. It's very possible. It's, off, it's interesting when you look at the votes how it often lines up like that. Our final topic is from someone who will not be seen in the playoffs, but I felt like it was important to at least talk about him. Zach Greinke is having a really interesting season. He's obviously had a very fascinating career. He's 38 years old. Uh, the season's coming to an end. We have heard nothing about his future. So I don't know if he's going to play next year or not. But I do remember, so he came back home to Kansas City this year. And we talked about him early on in the season because in his first five starts, he had a 257 ERA. It's like, hey, that's great. But under the hood, he had seven strikeouts in 28 innings, <laughs> which is ridiculous. It was a 6.5% strikeout rate. And then it got a little better midseason. But now over his last five starts, he has a 342 ERA with 10 strikeouts in 26 innings, a 9% strikeout rate. Remember, the best starters have like a 35% strikeout rate. And yet, when we saw him at 38 missing zero bats early in the season, I think my impression was he's not going to make it through the year. Like, that, you cannot succeed like this. And somehow he's got 131 innings with a 398 ERA. If you look at baseball reference, 2.2 wins above replacement. Which is just, it's stunning. Like, I know that's not going to, like, change his Hall of Fame case, which I think is already, like, kind of in the books that he's going to get there. He has a 13% strikeout rate. So I wanted to know, uh, could I find previous years of 130 innings or more, strikeout rate that low, and an ERA under four? It turns out it's not actually as rare as I wanted it to be. It was done as recently as 2019 by Brett Anderson, uh, Andrew Kashner in 2017, Mark Burley and R.I. Dickey in 2015. So I was hoping that would be cool and historic, and it really wasn't. But it, it's just like, for a guy who's had such an interesting career uh, over two decades, basically, this is his 19th season, to be able to like pull one more out of his hat when he clearly can't miss bats anymore, 
was super interesting to me and I'm happy to see it. It's very cool. And I think Mike, I, I think we haven't talked about this on the podcast before, because I think we weren't necessarily supposed to, but it's been a few years. And I think that we can tell the story of the time that Zach Greinke showed up at our office and we got to just talk <laughs> you about remember, <laughs> baseball how, though. It, um, it was uh, 17, 2017. I think it was, 18? I think it was like January or February of 2018. Yeah. And, um, I, I, your, your boss cut, like, came over and was like, hey, I, I got a call from Zach Greinke's agent. Uh, he'd like to know if he can come by the office and talk about stats. And we're like, yeah, cool. When? Uh, about 10 minutes. <laughs> and he t- and that's exactly what happened. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go get a conference room. And we thought maybe, you know, he'd kick it for a couple minutes and then leave. Stayed for like over three hours just talking about <laughs> stats with like I me like, and leave. Tom I was Tango like, I... and Matt. And like, yeah, yeah right. Was, Matt didn't leave. It was Mike, Tom Tango and, and me and... Greg, he just wanted, he just had a lot of questions about StatCast and was just like firing off questions. This was kind of the earlier days when there was a lot less data available on Baseball Savant and a lot was, you know, Tom, Tom Tango was in his first or second year at baseball at, at, at MLB and was just kind of figuring things out. And we were really wrapping our arms around a lot of stuff. And I have two vivid memories of, of the, of, of talking to Greg, one of which was, this was right after he had a ton of questions about Max Scherzer. He was like, I want to know about his movement. He was asking questions about his location and his movement. This was after Zach Scherzer had just won his second straight Cy Young for the Nationals and was like considered the best pitcher in the game. And he was just like clearly enamored with Scherzer and just saw him as the, as just like the pinnacle of pitching at that moment. Um, The other thing I remember, and I'm curious what your memories were, is he said something at the time that like has stuck with me. And I think about it a lot when I watch games was he was talking about hitters and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he said like, he's like what most fans and even analysts and former players don't understand is like the hitting approach that modern hitters have. He was like, my teammates now, the guys I play with, basically, on every pitch, they prepare for, they, they kind of basically guess a location and a pitch type. And if they get it, they swing. He's like, there's like very few guys who have the like, you know, I guess now the the reactive sort of like, hey, Tony Gwynn, or now maybe like the best example would be like Luis Arise or, or Jeff McNeil of like, hey, I'm going to kind of just try and like get my bat out there and, 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 and make contact and sort of, you know, hit him where they ain't. Like he's like, basically almost every hitter has this exact approach. And I thought it was really instructive and it sort of informed a lot of like how I watch the game to this day. Is there anything like from our conversation with him that stands out to you? I don't remember specifics in that way because we spent so much time with him. But I, I do remember, obviously, he's like incredibly intelligent. Like he certainly knows what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, he, he's got a reputation for kind of being a, a little unusual in terms of personal interaction. And it, I think in large settings, maybe that's true. But in, in that small setting, it wasn't like that at all. Like very friendly, like very direct, very to the point. It's like had a lot of questions. Like, as you said, this was kind of in the early days where we didn't have all sorts of fancy visuals and stuff. So a lot of what we had was just like, Tom posting spreadsheets and Excel charts at the moment. And he was like super into it. He'd get up and like point at the screen and everything. And I think it just really, it goes exactly to his reputation as being one of the more intellectual baseball players who like wants to, wants to know everything he can, uh, whether he finds it all useful or not. It's just one of those like totally random memories that sticks out where it's like, I had no expectations of this happening. And then all of a sudden here shows up Zach Greinke in New York in January for reasons. (laughs) One One of my highlights of working, working baseball for sure. Absolutely. All right, we'll take a quick break and we will come back and talk about a couple of guys we should talk about more. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We each like to end the show by highlighting some guys you should be speaking about a little more. My guy could not be, let's say, more anonymous in the sense of his career path was super weird. And we've talked a lot about the Cleveland Guardians and how, yeah, they got a couple stars, Shane Bieber's, Stephen Kwan's, Jose Ramirez, but there's a lot of guys there you don't know enough about. My guy is Oscar Gonzalez, who has a really interesting path to where he is now. He's basically their starting right fielder right now. He has been hitting really well for a team that needs it. At 123 OPS plus, he's hitting 287, 320, and 461. And he's got an absolute cannon of a throwing arm. I'm going to briefly diverge here to point out that on Baseball Savant, we have posted throwing arm leaderboards for position players, for everybody, first base, left field, you name it. Well, if you go look at the overall list, Oscar Gonzalez is fifth with an average of 96.3. Such a cannon. I implore you to go check it out. So what happened here uh, was that Oscar Gonzalez was signed by Cleveland way back in 2014 out of the Dominican. I was reading a little bit about him. Um, This was from a Cleveland.com article that referenced what Baseball America wrote. Uh, The biggest bonus went to 17-year-old Dominican outfielder Oscar Gonzalez, who signed for $300,000 on July 2nd. His trainer, Wayson Brazoban, is a Dominican singer whose pop song, and Un Solo Dia reached number 47 on Billboard's Hot Latin Songs chart. I listened to it. It's actually kind of catchy. I suggest you go check it out. As for Oscar Gonzalez, he spent years in the minors. Right? He signed in 2014. He didn't even get to double A until 2019. And then, of course, 2020 is a wash. 2021, he had a pretty good year. 31 home runs between double A and triple A. Well, here's the interesting part. And this is very specific to last winter's labor issues and how everything got messed up in the winter. He was not added to the 40-man roster after 2021. That meant he would have been Rule 5 eligible, right? Any team could have picked him and kept him as long as he was on the Major League roster all season long, except there was no Rule 5 draft this year. It got canceled because of everything that happened. So they actually cut him. He became a minor league free agent instead, ended up resigning with Cleveland a couple days later. And when the previous Oscar who was there, uh, Oscar, I'm forgetting now who the other Oscar was going to be, uh, but they decided, uh, Oscar Mercado, that's what I was going to say. Oscar Mercado did not really pan out. The outfield was a lot of moving pieces. Oscar Gonzalez is now the starting right fielder. Quan left, Miles Straw center, Oscar Gonzalez in right, and that's the outfield I think you're going to see in the postseason. They they have solidified things there in that spot. My favorite uh 
Oscar Gonzalez fact. It's also music related. Do you know what he uses as his walk-up song? Oh, I absolutely do not. Is it is it an un solo dia? <laughs> no, it is the theme song from uh, from SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, what? That's him. I knew somebody did it. I didn't realize it was him. My kids watch that like twelve times a day. <laughs> and our our ballpark dimensions, uh, I guess, co-host uh, Mandy Bell asked him earlier this year, "Why do you use that song?" And he said, "Because kids love that song, and this is a kids' game after all." Wow. So you're saying I missed like the coolest. Oscar Gonzalez fact. Well, I got Good you. You know, I'm here. I'm here. To, I'm here. To, I'm here to, <laughs> to to pick you up. I I love Oscar Gonzalez. This is great. I feel like we sort of like had a, a Guardians guy each of the, like four of the last five episodes. Yeah, because nobody knows I, who these guys are. Exactly. I think I had, we had Miles Straw. I think I even had Emmanuel Class A. So hey, they're they're going to be in the postseason. Might as well uh, read up on them. Yeah. Quick quick side note: uh, Jose Ramirez has not hit in like two months. I think because of his thumb. So they're going to need Oscar Gonzalez. So my guy for this week is Luis Garcia. And you're wondering, is that Luis Garcia from the Astros? Which one? <laughs> no. Is it Luis Garcia from the Nationals? No. Is it Luis Garcia, the Phillies prospect? No. It is Luis Garcia, the Padres reliever, who, believe it or not, leads the Padres relievers in Fangraph's war and has turned into like a really significant piece of their bullpen. And Luis Garcia has an absolutely fascinating backstory. He is 35 years old. He was originally signed by the Dodgers as a 19-year-old in 2006 and basically bounced around, you know, the minors. And then he was out of baseball for two years. He was out of baseball for two years. I actually found a story from 2015. When, for, this one from when he was with the Phillies. It was written by our current Giants beat reporter, Maria Guardado. But at the time, she was working for NJ.com. She wrote a feature on him because he was back in baseball. And he had been, prior when his time out of baseball, he worked at... A, as a barber, and he worked in construction. He was out of the game for two years, and then he was like, you know what, I'm not ready to give this up. He started working out at a like one of these uh, frozen ropes facilities in Pine Brook, New Jersey, and eventually he caught on with a trainer, and he started throwing hard again, and lo and behold, he made it back to the minors. He caught on with the Phillies. He's actually been around the, the majors for a few years now. The, the What I realized is that he played on a bunch of those like really uninteresting, mediocre Phillies teams. So basically was just like totally anonymous. So from 2013 through 2018, he was a reliever on the Phillies, not especially good one. Um, spent a year with the Angels, the Rangers, the, the Cardinals, and then signed on with the Padres before this season. And the thing about him is he actually has pretty nasty stuff. Um, he throws 99 and he, ha- he has an 82 mile an hour pitch that's classified as a slider. It almost kind of looks like a curveball, but it's called a slider. And he has thrown 298 sliders this year, and he's allowed just three hits on his slider all season long. Has a .098 expected weight on base against his slider. And like he actually like closed a game recently for the Padres. And this is the guy who's going to be pitching, presumably pitching big innings in the wildcard series like a week from now. Uh, I think he's a pretty cool story. I'm rooting for him. I'm only going to correct you on one thing because it makes the story even cooler. You said the Dodgers signed him in 06. They signed him in 04. That's how long <laughs> this guy's been around. He's been around forever and i i remember him last year uh because in the middle of the season the cardinals signed him to a major league deal it's july 9th 2021 the cardinals signed him to a major league deal and it's like wait who who is this guy they're signing to major league free agency deals in the middle of the season Uh, it was because he'd been with the yankees in the minors and i guess they didn't call up up so he he got out of his contract and man is that has that ever worked out you know like that's a really good one like i i like this one a lot because 2004 this guy's been around 20 years? (laughs) Good for him. I like it. That's a good one. 
we are all done on this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We'll see you next week for our playoff preview.